From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Patrick Paxton. I'm filling in for our regular host, Sean Zeller, who is taking an August break. Back in June, the forecast was bleak. The nation's debt was headed into record-breaking territory, on pace to approach one and a half times the size of the economy in the next 30 years, according to the Congressional Budget Office, that's Congress's Bureau of Nonpartisan Economic Analysts. But that estimate, which assumed current policies would remain unchanged, could very well be on the low side. In a new report issued this week, the CBO made its bleak forecast even bleaker. With us this morning to discuss the budget forecasts and budget policy fights coming up is our CQ Budget and Appropriations Editor, Pete Cohn. Pete, welcome to the show. Thanks. Good to be here. Pete, can you bring us up to date on these two most recent CBO forecasts and what potentially it means for the economy going forward and for the dynamics of Congress? Yeah, sure. Well, so every year, CBO puts out their annual 10-year budget outlook. They do it a couple times a year. They put out the most recent one a couple of months ago, and then they put out some what they also called their uh, alternative fiscal scenario, which is basically the, in a, uh, certain assumptions that they're not allowed to make with their typical forecast, which are things that Congress may or may not do in the future. CBO is bound to, to just assume everything is going to continue out uh, on its current schedule without any changes by Congress. But CBO updated the forecast to say, uh, okay, well, here are a couple things that could happen and, and actually you know, very well may happen, which is extension of the tax cuts that were passed last December, uh, which are currently set to expire in, at the end of 2025. The assumption is eventually Congress is going to get around to extending those tax cuts because nobody likes to preside over a tax increase for the vast majority of Americans. Uh, and then second... Uh, in February, Congress and the Trump administration reached a two-year budget deal, which increased discretionary spending on defense and, and uh, all other uh, domestic social programs and foreign aid, uh, which expires at the end of this upcoming fiscal year. So the assumption, again, is Congress is not going to let that happen. They're not going to let spending be cut 10% in fiscal 2020. They're just going to continue out those policies. So CBO updated those numbers and said, Okay, under some reasonable assumptions that you could make about what lawmakers are going to do in the future, you can see how the deficits over the next 10 years may not only be as, quote unquote, uh, only $12.5 trillion over, over 10 years. They could actually be more like 14, 15, 16 trillion over the next 10 years. And as a, as a share of the economy, right now, the, the sort of the modern uh, record was set in fiscal 1946, just as World War II was sort of at its apex, and uh, that was over 100% of the economy. 106% of GDP was the amount of debt that we owed. Uh, and so we're headed in that direction. We're going to actually eclipse that figure, uh, depending on if Congress acts to extend these, these you know, expensive policies. We could hit that at, say, 2030, maybe 2035, but we're, we're definitely headed in that direction, and that's kind of uncharted territory. What was the reaction on Capitol Hill from lawmakers from these two CBO forecasts? <clears throat> uh, muted at best. Now, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, the deficit polls very poorly as something that voters care about. Uh, and, and the same thing, the federal debt. So we hear all this doom and gloom and all these dire forecasts and everything. But um, it really registers very low on the scope of what, what voters care about. They care about health care, the economy, terrorism. And so, you know, you just don't hear a lot about this. And, and uh, you know, typically nothing happens on deficit and fiscal policy to sort of, you know, 
contract uh, to uh, contract the amount of spending or raise taxes when one party is in power. You usually need you need both sides of the political spectrum to get together and do something. You know, in the Bush years, you had one party control. We what did we do? We cut a lot of taxes, and we actually created a new entitlement program in the in the Medicare Part D program. Uh, in the Obama years, you know, we didn't really do a lot of cutting. We expanded the size of the federal investment in healthcare. Now, you know, they did it in a way that didn't necessarily add to the deficit, but you've seen Congress begin to chip away even at those cost controls over the last few years. So you need both parties to come together and say, this is a priority, and uh, you just don't have that consensus. Grover Norquist, who is, a, who is one of these um, anti-tax, probably a preeminent anti-tax uh, activist in, in D.C., love him or hate him, agree or disagree, I thought sum, summarized it pretty well in a tweet the other day where he said, a lot of the talk you hear about deficits from Democrats is really just because they want higher taxes. And any talk about deficits you hear from the Republicans is because they oppose higher spending. They want to cut spending. Democrats, Democrats want to raise taxes. There's really not any concern for the quote unquote deficit that is real. When was the last time under which administration we really passed a tax increase that helped ease the deficit? Well, actually, at the end of 2012, the so-called fiscal cliff, which bl actually bled into uh, New Year's Day 2013, which was a really horrific uh, experience for a lot of reporters and basically everybody involved in that in that situation. But, you know, that was a uh, a tax increase that was estimated at the time to increase revenue uh, targeted mainly at actually entirely at uh, households earning more than four hundred thousand dollars a year. But it was estimated to raise about six hundred billion dollars in taxes over, over a decade. Uh, and so, you know, that was sort of the perfect storm you had to raise taxes because if Congress didn't act, taxes were going to go up for all households. Didn't matter how you can make 50,000, 30,000, uh, you know, 100,000, $5 billion, your taxes were going up if Congress didn't act. So they made a deal. Um, you know, President Obama had the Republicans over the proverbial barrel. And uh, they had to make a deal. And so they, they compromised at 400000 Obama wanted to, to uh, lower that threshold to 200000 uh, but they compromised. And, uh, you know, you might say compromise is a lost art, but uh, that was the last time Congress actually raised taxes. And, uh, you know, you look at the, the magnitude of, I mean, Bob Rubin in his column, former Treasury, Sec Treasury Secretary Bob Rubin, said, uh, you know, if we just sort of got back to the average historical level of revenue in this country— um, before recent tax cuts and the economy sort of taking a chunk out of, of uh, tax receipts, you could reduce the debt by $3 trillion over 10 years. And, uh, you know, he said it in, in sort of this manner uh, of, um, you know, this casual manner, like there's no, re there's no reason why we can't or, or shouldn't do that. Well, $3 trillion is, you know, if you look at what Congress was able to do in the fiscal cliff deal, $600 billion was about all they could manage. So to get from $600 billion to $3 trillion, with any sane politician running for re-election is an extremely difficult thing to do. What's driving the uh, the current uh, rise in deficits? Is it last year's big tax cut for corporations and individuals? Uh, is it the two-year budget deal? What's really kind of driving this latest uh, uh, spike upwards? Yeah, I mean, those those are two things that definitely haven't helped the fiscal situation. Um, you know, deficits were looking were looking to be roughly. 11 trillion and somewhere in that ballpark over 10 years. And now with the tax cuts and the, um, and the budget deal, you know, it's, it's up to around 12 and a half trillion 
over over 10 years. You know, there's a lot of thing, other factors that go into the deficit forecast that are not just legislative. You know, the economy is 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 a huge factor. I mean, swings in GDP growth and productivity and uh, inflation, things like the interest rates. These are things that have a orders of magnitude at times larger impact than legislation. That's not to minimize the effect of legislation on the deficit, but there's a lot of other factors that go into, go into, uh, go into this equation. And CBO lays that pretty well, I think. You know, for one thing, they, they say that, um, you know, faster growth since the tax cut has passed, not, not entirely attributed to the tax cut, but partly, maybe half of it, is, uh, is going to add about a trillion dollars, $1.1 trillion in extra tax receipts over the next 10 years. Um, so that's, you know, it's just one way to um, emphasize that it's not just the sort of mechanical uh, approach of passing legislation that affects the deficit. It's all of the things that interact with the legislation and what's happening with, you know, around the globe and in the economy. Uh, the Republicans are talking about passing uh, later this year uh, a permanent extension of the tax cuts. What does that involve exactly? Yeah, well, it's not entirely clear yet because they haven't re- released their bill. But what they're definitely talking about is an extension of all of the rate cuts for individual households. The corporate tax cut uh, was was made permanent, so they don't need to, to touch that. Uh, but there are other tax cuts affecting businesses, like this twenty percent deduction for for uh, pa- so called pass through uh, pass through business income, which is basically any any. Uh, business that is not organized as a corporation subject to certain um, requirements. You can't be uh, you know, a hedge fund manager or a lobbyist and, and qualify for this. But if you're making widgets or you know, even if you're a small bank, uh, you can take a, a, a rather sizable deduction off of your business income. So these are all things that expire at the end of 2025. There's also some budgetary offsets uh, that expire at the end of 2025. So if you extend all of these things together, the cost control measures and the tax cuts, you're going to end up adding, um, you know, over $600 billion to the deficit uh, in this legislation if they pass it. Pete, does anyone care about deficits anymore? And I'm speaking specifically of, of Capitol Hill. Are there lawmakers who, you know, who for many years have cared about deficit, try to move the ball on this? Or is that really just gone away? No, it's still out there. I mean, you definitely find pockets of these true believers who, you know, are constantly harping on the deficit. You know, one guy who's been very consistent on this for many years now is Steny Hoyer. Um, but, you know, his party is moving in an entirely different direction. He's the Democratic uh, Deputy Minority Leader. Yes, I'm sorry, I should have said House Minority Leader. Um, you know, you've got candidates come up and coming, um, new, new members of the party who are winning their primaries and things like that, who are, you know, talking about extremely expensive policies and that seems to be sort of the new normal among the majority of, of the Democrats who are kind of kind of coming up through the ranks and those who are running for president uh, in, in 2020. So and on the Republican side, you know, you have those like uh, Bob Corker, who's retiring, Jeff Flake, who's retiring, who, uh, you know, Corker actually voted against the tax cuts at first. Um, but, you know, Jeff Flake uh, ended up supporting the tax cuts. But, you know, John McCain is probably somebody who um, actually he actually McCain ended up voting for the tax cuts. But, uh, you know, in the past, he's voted no. So there are some Republicans who are sort of, you know, they try to be consistent on this. But, you know, generally, if it comes to uh, if it comes down to it, you're just not going to find that critical mass of support. You know, there was a time when they were talking about a grand bargain to, you know, when deficits were in the wake of the Great Recession. 
Uh, the numbers were just, you know, astronomical. Deficits had, had you know, had grown exponentially. And there was sort of a, a twinkle um, of, uh, of an opportunity between, you know, John Boehner, the former House Speaker, President Obama. They talked about this. There was a lot of discussion all over Washington about this. Something was actually going to happen. Um, but they just couldn't get it done. And I think, you know, with that moment having passed uh, and now, you know, getting into the, the midterm cycle and you got another presidential election in 2020, it's just really hard to see when anybody is going to get around to thinking this is something that's a priority. Pete, why are deficits bad or are they bad for the economy and for the country? Um, that's a great question. And I think, you know, again, you're, you, there's a core group of true believers out there. A lot of some interest groups around town, for instance, who are constantly, you know, harping on this. They'll tell you that there's nothing good about deficits because, uh, you know, they essentially constrain your options. You know, eventually you're going to find if you're the U.S. Treasury, you're going to find it hard to go out to the debt markets and get people willing to finance your, your deficits. Uh, that hasn't happened yet, and it's unclear that it ever will happen. But, uh, you know, there's certainly a concern that eventually investors around the world are going to be start demanding a, a much higher premium for parking their cash in, in you know, with the U.S. Treasury uh, as a result of our fiscal situation. They, they point to countries like Greece, like Italy, you know, other countries that have had Argentina that have had these types of problems in recent years. And they say, you know, that could happen to us. And then what happens when we enter a recession? We're not going to have the ability to kind of, you know, to go out and, and expand the fiscal uh, uh, contribution to try to get dig our way out of the deficit again, like we did with the Great Recession. We passed a stimulus and and things like that. So we're, our you know our hands are going to be more tied in the future when we eventually do and we will go back into recession. That's the argument. Now the counter argument, which is sort of increasingly gaining currency on the left, uh, is. You know, and it's it's ironic because it's, it was Dick Cheney under Bush who said deficits don't matter. But there's now kind of a push from the left to say, you know, maybe deficits really don't matter because, um, you know, we have the Federal Reserve, the world's largest printing press. <laughs> uh, we can kind of continue to do this in as long as there are people out there willing to finance our debt. And, uh, you know, we just um, are always going to be able to find people because we are the world's safe haven. Um, and you know, that, so that thinking is out there, but does anyone really know? I mean, I think intuitively the idea that you would kind of continue to run unsustainable deficits and CBO calls them unsustainable, they, you know, and, and the definition of unsustainable is eventually it will stop because it has to. So, um, you know, if, if that's your view, then, uh, deficits are bad, but, um, there is certainly that counter view out there that, you know, we are not like a, a household. We are the United States government. And we're the world's reserve currency. Everybody's got to buy, got to have dollars as as their assets, and they need something to buy with those dollars. And so, what do they do? They buy treasury bonds uh, and T bills. And so, you know, that's kind of where we are in this debate. And uh, every dire warning that comes out from the CBO or other organizations uh, is sort of interesting, and it, it sparks the debate. But um, until we reach that kind of crisis moment, that tipping point. Uh, we're just never going to focus. Lawmakers are never going to focus on it. And the problem is, and Bob Rubin wrote this in the um, in the Washington Post the other day, is you know no one knows when that tipping point is. But do we really want to uh, find out? That's the question he's asking. And he's uh, you know there are certainly those out there trying to get people more um, uh, to care about this. Pete, there's a bipartisan group of lawmakers uh, kind of meeting on the side from both the House and the Senate about 
uh, budget reforms. It's not ex- directly a tax play, but it is about how the Congress could change its budget procedures. Does any hope lie in that uh, uh, bipartisan group working on that on the sidelines? Uh, I don't think there's much hope that they're going to come up with some kind of solution to get deficits and debt down. I think what they're talking more about is ways to reform, uh, well, they call it reform. That's the name of their uh, budget and appropriations process reform uh, select committee, which is basically trying to figure out a way to pass appropriations bills on time without having to resort to all these stopgap continuing resolutions and and these massive omnibus bills that no one has time to read. Uh, But that's more of a kind of internal process thing. It's uh, meant to update the 1974 law that governs the the uh, existing budget process, which, you know, was became law under President Nixon. So it's a lot of people think it maybe needs to be updated. Um, So that's kind of where that is. I I wouldn't say there's much hope of a some kind of big breakthrough on, well, now we've got to finally uh, raise taxes and and cut spending to get our, our deficits under control. Thanks, Pete. I really appreciate you uh, joining us today. Uh, As you can hear, deficit seems to be on our horizon for a good many years to come, and there doesn't seem to be a huge political will to fix it at this point in time. Thank you, Pete, for joining us. This is Patrick Pexton, and thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. Please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories about your Congress, Visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall. Thank you.